We're your hosts, Alexa and Melissa. Thanks for joining us. Hello, friends. Thank you for joining us today on the show. On our episode today, you will hear us chat with the amazing Sarah Westfall. Sarah is a speaker, fellow podcast host, and writer. Today, she talks to us about not looking away from the important things, losing a loved one, and her podcast titled, Not My Story. We think you are going to really enjoy learning more about Sarah, and if you already know her, maybe learn something new. Hi, everyone. Today, we are so excited to have Sarah Westfall on our podcast. Sarah, can you say hi? Hello. Hello. So happy you're here. So Sarah, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with you yet, can you share a little bit background about you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say first and foremost that I am a lover of stories, a good conversation and connection. Um, that's kind of always been true for me for, you know, since as long as I can remember, I've always had somewhat of a contemplative soul. Oh my word. I think a child just fell in the shower. Um, it's okay. He's fine. Did you hear that loud thump? So sorry. Um, so yeah, all of that has kind of played itself out in, in various ways. I, my background is in student development and higher education, as well as a little bit in the realm of publishing. Um, right now I am a writer and a podcast host. I host the not my story podcast and that's kind of what day-to-day life looks like for me alongside I have, I'm a mama to four boys. And so that keeps me very busy. I am a dog mama to a pup. Her name is Georgie. She was our pandemic pup. And, um, then my husband and I have been married for 16 years and, uh, we live in Indiana. So that's a little snapshot. Awesome. And how old are your boys? Yeah, they, I have to think about it for a second. Um, 11, eight, five, and three. Whew. Busy, a, busy. Yeah, that is the accurate word for it, for sure. Yes. And are they in person for school or are you, are they at home or? They all are going to school. And so far it's worked out really well for us. We've had all fall. It was, uh, they, they didn't have any like close calls or had to be in quarantine or anything like that. But I think since coming back from Christmas, we've had a bit of a revolving door of like, okay, who's home today? Who's actually at school today? Who needs to get tested today? All the things. And so um, that's been a little crazy, but I feel hopefully like things are kind of evening back out now. Yeah, that's good. Oh man. So tell us about your podcast, Not My Story. Um, So who is this for? What do you discuss on your show? We'd love to hear about it. Yeah, Not My Story kind of came out of a a moment 10 years ago, almost to the day 10 years ago, of um, a diagnosis that we received. And I literally had a thought in that moment of this is not my story. This is not what I had planned for my life. This was not fair. This was not in my mind at that time. Right. And so thus began a lot of, of questioning and wrestling. And, 
um, a series of unexpected things that kind of fell in our lap that both really, really shook up my faith, but also became very formative to my faith in the years that followed. So Not My Story podcast is a conversational podcast about faith and the unexpected. And I invite guests to come on and share like their own unexpected story and not only like what that was and some of them are hard and some of them are good like beautiful and some of them are um, you know career or grief or all different kinds of types of unexpected things but through each of them kind of revealing what they discovered about God in those and how their faith was formed in those unexpected things and so yeah that is kind of the gist of it Um, but it kind of became, you know, grew out of that own personal experience 10 years ago. Okay. So have you been doing the podcast for 10 years? No, (laughs) I kind of wish, cause I feel like I would have a bigger audience by now. Um, (laughs) hopefully, um, no, I just started it in May, which was crazy because I had before all things COVID hit. Um, or we became aware of them at least, um, I was already planning this podcast and then lo and behold, I would launch it in the middle of this crazy unexpected year. And so it was, it became, okay, God, like (laughs) we have all of this, you know, room for conversation. Now everybody's in it. Right. Yeah. What better time? Yeah. (laughs) And you've had um, a variety of people on your podcast and um, some like Michelle Kroll and Molly Huffman, who we, both of those women we adore. And when you're searching, like uh, from all the people that you've interviewed, has there been anyone or a story in particular that, I mean, and I'm sure they're all very unique and special, you know, but has there been any that you could tell our listeners, like, I would encourage you to go listen to this episode or just one that like really stood out to you. One that definitely comes to mind first. Um, I got to have a conversation with um, Dr. Kurt Thompson, which if you don't know who he is, he is a psychiatrist and um, studies neuroscience, but also like how neuroscience blends with faith. And we got to have a great conversation at the end of 2020 about where do we go from here, Um, especially in regard to all of the divisiveness that we have experienced, the fragmentation in our relationships, in our churches, um, the political stuff, um, so much division and man, his, I, I've listened to that particular podcast like four or five times, both with editing it and listening back. And every time I catch something new and it is one of those that I feel like is very profound, not because of anything I did, just because he had some incredible wisdom and insight to share. Yeah. Um, and he, from, from a place of such humility, um, he's a very kind and, uh, learned man. And it, it just, 
that one has just stuck with me. And I'm not the only one who said like several listeners have said, I'm going to have to go back and listen to that. Or I like took copious notes, which I'm like, my podcast is not necessarily one that you'll take notes from all the time, but it was like, it went there and it was really good. And who was that again? I got right his name down. Yes. Um, Dr. Kurt Thompson. Kurt Thompson. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. I think that would be really important for a lot of people to listen to. Yeah. And I just, his name kind of came to mind because I've read, I'd read a couple, well, one of his books and a few other things he's written, um, but also got to see him speak a couple of years ago at If Gathering. I'm not sure if you're familiar oh. with If. Um, and so he has kind of served some of that community as well. Um, so yeah, very, I'd check out his writing if you get a chance. Yeah, okay, definitely. So you are also a writer, you said, and you have a blog. So what inspires you to have this other outlet for yourself? I honestly, before all the other things, I was probably a writer. Uh-huh. Um, I have really horrible journals going back to like kindergarten, <laughs> um, most of which were about um, boys I thought were cute and oh, sure. what I ate that day. <laughs> and so really... <laughs> really riveting stuff. Um, but you know, I've always processed life through words and stories. And so that has just kind of always been ingrained in who I am, even though it probably wasn't always public. Um, I started writing more publicly, um, through when I talk about that, um, kind of life-changing moment 10 years ago, um, was in the diagnosis of our son. Um, and then he passed away a little after that. And so I started begin writing publicly during that, not so much because I felt like I had something to say, but because I had so many people asking how we were doing and I needed one place to kind of say that without having to say it over and over again. Yes. So um, I had a blog during that time and then it kind of ran its course and I stepped away from that for for a while because I needed to kind of take on new seasons of, of healing. And mm-hmm. so part of that was more like writing a lot, but it was a lot of in private. Um, and then, you know, dabbled a while in like the mommy blog stuff <laughs> and enjoyed yeah. it, but it just, it still wasn't quite the right fit until a couple of years ago, I kind of landed where I am, which is, you know, the intersection of, of faith, of connecting with God, of knowing God and connecting with other people um, and, and in type of a very like reflective narrative type style. My writing is not how to for the most part. I might direct you to some books like read these books, yeah. <laughs> but um, much more contemplative in nature. Yeah. And um, we were just reading through some of your blog posts and one you had titled was do not look away. So would you be willing to read that? I just found that um, I'm going to pull it up too while I'm looking at it. Um, I just thought it was so profound Mm. um, and important and hard. I mean, there was just a lot of emotions when reading it and just thinking about like, this is our country. Like this is the world we're living in on top of everything. Yeah, no, I'd be glad to, to read it. You know, that, that came out of 
like my initial reaction to what transpired on Capitol Hill and the people who came in and rioted and all that happened, um, I had I had no words initially, which for a writer to have no words is um, is a hard place to be in. Um, and it, so it took me a while to kind of reflect on that. And so this was the first thing I wrote coming out of that and trying to be as honest with myself as I could, but also to um, kind of encourage us in a good direction, you know? Um, do you want me to go ahead and read it? Yeah, yes. Okay. okay. Bring it over here. Last Wednesday, eyes across the nation were glued to screens, watching as events unfolded on Capitol Hill. Some looked on with shock and fear. Others were not surprised. Many were outraged. No matter what emotion you experienced, feelings were fierce and with good reason. I struggled to go to bed that night. And if I'm being honest, I don't often pray for our country or our world as a whole. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but my default is to talk with God about things that are a little closer to home, things that don't seem so immense and out of reach. The world is a really, really big place, and my ineptitude when it comes to government and politics often makes me uncertain what to even ask of God, but not on Wednesday. On Wednesday night, as images of men waving Confederate flags and wearing war paint who stormed into the Capitol building replayed in my mind, a deep heaviness settled in my heart. For the state of our country, for all the divisions that led us to that moment, for the atrocities that were being done in the name of Jesus, on Wednesday night, I prayed for our country. I prayed for peace. I prayed for wisdom. I prayed for healing. But most of all, I prayed that our eyes would be opened. Thursday morning, I woke up still heavy, but the grief was a little less acute. By Friday, the tension had waned even more. And by Friday afternoon, I felt myself wanting to move on, to look away. I didn't want to simply take a break to let my soul breathe. I wanted to pretend it wasn't happening or that it was over. And I think I'm not alone. Many of us get swept up in the drama of events like last Wednesday. We spill our emotions onto the internet, getting in virtual fistfights that seem so important in the moment. And don't get me wrong, there's a battle waging for sure. And I'm grateful for those who have already been listening long before Wednesday, who responded quickly and firmly with words of justice and mercy. We cannot be silent when God is mocked and humanity is diminished. But when the feelings of the moment fade and our lives go back to seemingly, to seeming relatively unaffected, a privilege more often experienced by those in the majority, the temptation is to look away, to forget, to let our prayers shift back to what is right in front of us. What I'm realizing is that I need to be more intentional and <laughs> that I need to be more intentional about what I'm keeping right in front of me. I need to find better ways to listen and to see, to try to understand not only the stories of my brothers and sisters and the realities of our world, but also what's unfolding in the greater story of God. Because when it comes to political systems, policies, inequalities, and what Jesus thinks about all of it, I have so much to learn. I have so much yet to see. So to those of us tempted to turn aside, to pretend our country and our world isn't in crisis, 
to forget that God's good redemption often begins amidst brokenness and confession. May we heed the wise words of Dr. Seuss and remember, there are so many things you can learn about, but you'll miss the best things if you keep your eyes shut. It's just so good. Thanks. There's just, I mean, and when I read that, I, I was just like, I'm guilty of that. Like how you talked about like how in the moment you're outraged and you have all these feelings and the next day you're still feeling it. And, but then as time goes on, it's kind of like, well, that's over there. Like you do kind of not like forget about, but kind of, you know, you go about your life and you move on. And so I just, I know I felt um, in my heart, like, yeah, like that's me where I'm looking away and not pretending that it didn't happen. Cause I know it did happen, but just like, well, what can I do? You know? Right. It is so easy when certain injustices or certain um, divisions aren't necessarily you know, like front and center in our lives on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. it's so easy to, to forget that they exist and they exist daily for a lot of people. Um, and so, you know, I'm not saying that I have this all figured out, but I think that it's so good to be moving in the direction of keeping ourselves um, open and educated and in a posture of listening and learning as much as we can. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely think like talking to God about these things too, because I'm guilty of not praying for our country, you know, praying for peace like that. You you get caught up in praying for your family, your own things and what's right in front of you that affects you on a daily basis. So your yeah. words were a great reminder for us all. Oh, thanks. Me too. Really. <laughs> Usually whatever I write is also for me as well. <laughs> <laughs> So you have a lot of topics you talk about and you speak to women about um, grief and suffering, authentic connection with God and um, child loss and so much more. So is there a particular topic that you feel most passionate about um, talking about writing about? You know, it, it has changed over time. And I think that, I think it was Emily Lay. I heard her say recently um, that we kind of always we often write to the person we were yesterday. And Mm -hmm. so because we are always in this process of becoming, um, I think that what I am most passionate about is usually what I am learning and and, in the places where I am growing. Um, And so, yeah, that's included grief and that has included um, lament and what it looks like to, show up for each other in those seasons of, of hard things. Um, but I think that right now, and, and all of those things kind of feed into this, but I think that what is front and center for me right now is pursuing a life of presence with God and with other people, um, in a level of connectedness where, you know, I think, all of us have this deep desire to know and to be known and that we were wired, you know, from day one for connection and communion with God and with other people. And so what does that look like really 
And it's almost like, I feel like right now, especially like we haven't really even begun to know what that looks like because so many things get in the way, um, distractions and well, especially COVID my goodness, this year has made it really hard to be physically present for one another. So yeah, yeah, I think that's kind of one of my driving forces right now is that life of presence. Mm -hmm. Well, and you, um, mentioned this briefly, just about how 10 years ago, losing your son and that's heartbreaking. And we're so sorry for that. I mean, there's just no words. And, um, you talked about, um, there was a video on your blog or your website talking, you were at a speaking event where you related your loss with Hagar from the Bible. And I just found that really, found that really interesting. So can you just share a little bit about your discovery through that with her story, relating it to you personally? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, thank you for like, I appreciate even though the words are hard to find sometimes of knowing how to acknowledge somebody else's loss. Um, any words is better than no words (laughs) because even if we fumble through it, um, at least we know that people care, whereas silence can often be misinterpreted. Um, and so I think that that, I appreciate that. So please know that, um, Hagar in the Bible in Genesis 16, it is a story that has, I mean, so deeply resonated with me, um, in a a multitude of ways, but the background of the story is that Hagar is the servant girl, slave girl to Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and they had not been able to conceive yet. And so they kind of, even though God had promised them to build his people through them, um, it's almost like they began to doubt that and doubt how God was going to bring that to, to pass. And so, Sarah convinced Abraham to um, impregnate her slave girl, Hagar. Um, And that happened. But then in the aftermath um, of Hagar getting pregnant, Sarah um, began to mistreat Hagar. And she became, um, so they kind of cast her out, like out into the desert. And she was, there's this moment in Genesis 16 where Hagar is pregnant and alone in the desert out of options. Um, I mean, she, she just has nowhere to go. I mean, in her background, like she's, she was an Egyptian. And so she cries out and does, and doesn't know what, what to do. And then, and God comes to her, this Egyptian slave girl, pregnant, pregnant in the desert, um, out of options, out of hope. And, God meets her in that place and um, right where she is and lets her know that his presence is with her right where she is, who she is. And being an Egyptian slave girl, having no reference to who this God is, names him. Um, the, The pronunciation I'm going to not get right at all, but it's El Roy or El Roy, El Roy, um, which that means, right. yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> it's, it's like throatier than what any American can ever really <laughs> muster up. Um, but it means the God who sees me. Um, and for me, 
both in my grief, but also in my personality and my day-to-day life of navigating four boys running around who are constantly needing snacks or something, usually snacks. Um, I feel like I'm constantly being needed, but not seen. Mm. So this story just so resonated with me because God met her in that place of need and said, and, and she, she named him of the, God was so personal and that he saw her, but then he also asked her to go back into that hard place of saying, this is not, he asked her to go back to, um, Sarah and to Abraham and didn't necessarily take the situation away, but he was with her and stuck with her. And, you know, that resonated with me so much because when our son passed away, um, you know what, before that we, we were diagnosed, um, he was diagnosed, he'd never developed kidneys. And so we found out about seven weeks before he was born. And so I knew for seven weeks that my son was un, was not going to live after he was born. Um, and so during that season, you know, the prayers, oh, my conversations with God, you know, talking about being in a desert with no place and feeling very deserted, very alone. Um, my faith was very shaken up during that time. And, you know, God did not necessarily take that away. He didn't heal my son. My son still passed away. And so God essentially said, no, you're, you're going to stay in the situation. The grief is you're, you're going to have this now. (laughs) Um, but what also transpired through that is, and I think that's why I'm so passionate now about pursuing the presence of God was because I experienced his presence during that season in a way that I did not know possible. Like I grew up, um, I mean, really kind of knowing God's God was there and wanting to love God. Like I remember from a little girl um, and, and that's not everybody's story. And I'm very grateful for that, but I just had no idea just how close he really is to us here in our earthly lives. And so, um, yeah, that story has just become immensely um, important to me. And so much so that I have that Elroy tattooed now on my arm because I mean, it's something that I have to remember daily. Like I am seen. And when life feels really, really hard, um, he is present. Even if I don't necessarily feel that, that I know his nearness and I know that I'm seen. And I can live from that place. Oh, such a powerful story. And just you comparing it to the story in the Bible. I mean, I feel like there's so many similarities. Um, What advice would you give parents or women who are going through loss right now? Yeah. You know, one of my first responses we were in the hospital. It was right after we got the diagnosis and walking out of the hospital that day, I said, God, you either have to be everything you say you are, or I'm done. Like I cannot do this. Um, 
And (laughs) I think that from that point, like I just threw everything God's direction and not in like a testing way, but like in a like desperate, like I have no other potential safety net here. Um, And so all of my anger and all of my questions and all of my um, fears of whether or not I I was capable of walking that path um, just kept throwing in his direction. And, and I'm not saying it happened immediately, you know, hindsight is 2020, but God not only was everything he says he was in his word, but, but more, you know, that, so I guess my advice would just be to continue to just throw all that stuff at God, just continue to go to him with the questions and the grief and the guilt. I mean, there were some thoughts that I had that I was like, oh my word, like, how could I think this? For example, like we, we already had a toddler son and one of my concerns in having kids was having them so close together. And for moments when I found out my other son was not going to live, I felt a little bit of relief because I wasn't going to have to have them so close together and figure that out. And then I felt very guilty for having a moment of relief. Like how could I, what kind of person feels that? But, but then instead of keeping that secret, like secrets have power and they will wreak havoc on our, and our souls. So they will wreak havoc on, our anxiety, they'll wreak havoc on our mental health. Um, and so saying that before God, and then also honestly to people <laughs> like trusted people as well, yeah. um, was really, really important. Um, and then, uh, you know, it, I think so often we are so afraid of the grief itself. Um, but I think that if we can remember that grief is a measure of our love and that that doesn't have to be feared, um, that it keeps it from being such a dark thing, but it's almost transforms it into, to an invitation of how can I now love this person or this baby or this dream that I've lost? Um, and it honors it like grief is is a way of honoring the thing that we've lost. Cause it, we loved, like, I love my son. I still grieve daily over him not being in our life 10 years later. Um, and while I can sometimes feel um, like, Oh my word, I'm stuck in that. No, it's because I still love him. <laughs> and so grief is going to be with that too. Um, and I think that over time, I've just learned that that is just an indication of, of love. I, I haven't heard grief explained that way about the invitation to love. And um, that's just really powerful. And I'm sure to our listeners who are listening, who have experienced loss to hear that coming from you can, um, will just help. Cause I think, you know, like you said, like sometimes people aren't sure what to say, but I think it can be not easier, but um, just when they hear it from someone who has also experienced it, it's just different, I think. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know if that's how everyone feels, but you know, like, I feel like 
you know, you can say 10 years later, like I'm still processing, I'm still grieving and that's okay. Like I still, you know, like, I just think, thank you for sharing that and sharing that part of your story with us. Yeah. I would say too, like, it's really important to allow other people into that grief, like to varying degrees. Um, we, we, we have, we all have different circles of, you know, we can call circles of trust or circles of, of intimacy. Um, and so allowing those to be places where you, we can, um, express grief, but also let people step in and just help. Um, I've always been independent to a fault. Um, and during that season, I really, really wanted to be like, no, I can still cook my own meals. I can still take care of my toddler. I can, but I couldn't, I just couldn't. And I found so much, you know, we talk about again to that life of presence that that was really what transformed me of seeing the, a different way of living in community with other people of allowing myself to be in a posture of need with other people and then have that, you know, down the road reciprocated sometimes that, that I was the one who was showing up on their doorstep with a casserole or um, offering to, to take a kid. But that just, that became such a clear picture for us of what the church is or could be, or should be like, it just gave me a vision for what God saw, you know, all, has seen all along of what his church could be. And, um, it's really, really beautiful. And so not being resistant to that. Yeah. And are there any, um, were there any either from 10 years ago or just now, like anyone, any authors or other bloggers or podcasters that you really enjoy or you find like have helped you with different things? Yeah. I'll say that when, when we were in, like when I was in my rawest season of grief that I honestly could not read or listen or, or talk to people who had gone through it very much because it was almost, it was too much to carry my own, let alone somebody else's story in that season. Um, but one book, the book that I first read and I could only read like up to the part that I'd already experienced was, um, I will carry you by Angie Smith. Um, her story with her daughter, which is ironic. She has like four girls and I have like it's like the same situation, but opposite Um, in in many ways. So her experience mirrored a lot of my own. And so I found that to be um, very comforting and sustaining um, in the sense of, okay, if she could do it, so can I, or if God could do that in her, then he will, he can do the same in me. I'll say it that way. That's probably a better way to say it. Um, cause it was certainly nothing I did. Um, and then something that I've read more recently, um, and I actually happen to know the author fairly well is this too shall last, um, about the grace found in suffering by KJ Ramsey. Hmm. Um, if I told her once that I'm like, if I never write a book on 
suffering and the grace and the gifts that are found in our brokenness, then I'm just going to keep handing people her book because <laughs> well, um, <good. laughs> uh, yeah, it's really, it's really well done. She, she comes at it from um, a perspective of chronic illness, but it still has to do with, you know, grief and loss and suffering and lament and all of those things that are very, um, common to loss in general. Um, and she just has such a good theology behind it as well. Um, so yeah, that's, those are the two that come to mind. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, Sarah, I mean, as we start to wrap up this conversation, you know, it's the new year. Yay. (laughs) And, you know, here's, Here's hoping for a good new year. So are you one to make resolutions or goals? Do you do that yearly or no? (laughs) No. Normally, what's funny is that normally I am. I don't know if you're any Enneagram people at all. I'm a four, but with a very strong three wing, which is like that achiever, um, that that go-getter, goal setter. So normally the last few years I've done a word of the year. And then had some very like measurable type goals. Um, And a lot of those had to do with like um, writing life and podcasting and those kind of things. This year, I got nothing. (laughs) I, you know, and I've always loved kind of that turning of the page and the fresh start. And this year, I just really, I ended 2020 with some really heavy disappointment from things that on top of everything everybody experienced in 2020, um, some things that didn't pan out and end of the year, very disappointed and just really felt like coming into this new year, I just needed to be open-handed to receive whatever it was. Um, which is honestly a little bit harder for me than setting goals. (laughs) Um, so that's where I'm at. It's really, really, um, open-ended and, I don't have much more to say than I am just open-handed and going to receive what's in front of me. Sorry, I have a kid knocking at the door. Hopefully he'll go away. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's great. I mean, I feel like 2021, you know, we just need some grace. And so we, we don't need necessarily super big, hefty goals and resolutions. We just, just need a little, little better of everything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing we love asking um, our guests, uh, what is something you do to unwind after a busy day? Oh, I have a very fast answer to this. I take a bubble bath literally almost every night. Really? Oh, yes. And it's been ugh, probably about 10 years because I started, I mean, I've always liked baths, but um, during when I was still pregnant with our son, Carter, who passed away, um, I started taking baths with him because I was so stressed out. And that's that sounded weird. I was pregnant with him. I wasn't yeah. taking baths with <laughs> we, him. We understand. Okay. <laughs> Afterwards, I was like, that was a weird image. Um <laughs> I but that kind of became a really sacred time for us together because um like I'd just be in the bath and I would be able to watch him move. And a lot of my pregnancy became my time with him. And so since then, I just kind of became a habit, a rhythm that was important. And 
especially as I have more kids, I find that I need this buffer between Mm. when I have been like, go, 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 needed, needed, needed all day long to like remotely being human with my husband at night of like, I just need like 30 minutes with lavender and bubbles and a good fiction book. And then I will emerge ready to like be your wife. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, that's what I do almost every night. And I'm just curious, what kind of bubbles do you use? Is that a weird question? Like, I don't know people like. Yes. No. Okay. So I, there are two that I really love right now. One that I've used for a really long time. Um, It is the Bath and Body Works. I think it's like lavender and chamomile. That's what it was for a while. And I think now it's lavender and vanilla. It's like their stress or sleep line. Okay. Bubble bath. And then I also recently, um, a friend of mine gave me almost a year ago. It's the, um, oh, now I'm going to get the name it wrong. It's a pink Himalayan sea salt. Mm. It's that one. It's like the really, oh, now I'm not remember the brand name. It's the one that has all the Epsom salts and all of the, it's like really common. Well, that's not helpful at all. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I was just curious. Yes. I, but I, cause I like like thick bubbles. Like I need like so do the Epsom salts make thick bubbles. No, not the Epsom salts themselves, but I just know that the brand also is known for their Epsom salts, um, which I'm not as much a huge fan of. I, they, they get stuck places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hello. Yeah. Sorry. Tia, you can cut that out if you want to. <laughs> No, it's fine. I'm okay with it, but <laughs> yeah. now do you have one of the nice, like big fancy bathtubs? No, no. Or do I you take have the one that like the kids use to bathe in as well. Yep. That's the one. That's okay, the one. That's what I have. <laughs> take out all the toys and pretend that those aren't there for 30 minutes. And yep. yes, no, that's my dream someday yep. is to have like one of those big soaker, like up to your neck kind of tubs. Yes. Like a jet yes. tub. Yes. 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 And like a built-in seat. Yeah. Like, just that would be nice. I just want to be hugged by my tub in the yeah. tub in <laughs> every the tub. night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so nice. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for being on tonight and just for sharing so many different parts and just everything. And um, where can our listeners follow you? Yeah. Probably where I would direct people um, first would be my newsletter. Um, if you go to Sarah with an H, that H is important. Sarah with an H, ewestfall.com forward slash subscribe. You can join my newsletter. I'm, I don't get spammy. I send about a monthly kind of personal newsletter and some things that I, I like, things that I'm loving and reading, um, and then also a monthly kind of recap of things that have been on the podcast or things that have been written on the blog. Um, I, yeah, I would say that cause I, I get a little bit more personal there than I might on the blog or on social media. Um, but I am on Instagram and Twitter, both of those at Sarah underscore Westfall. Okay. Okay. So Sarah with an H E Westfall. The E is my middle initial. Sarah is a really vanilla common name. And so <laughs> I had to have something in there that differentiated me from all the other Sarahs who were born in the 1980s. 
That's funny. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. We really appreciate your time and your stories. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, oh, absolutely. It was so good to share some space with you guys. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah. Have a good evening. You too. Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show today. Listeners, please go support Sarah and follow her on Instagram at Sarah underscore Westfall. You can find her online at sarahewestfall.com and go check her out on her podcast, Not My Story, wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback, listeners. Feel free to email us anytime at midwestmamas3 at gmail.com or reach us out to us on social media at the Midwest Mamas. Just shoot us a message. We would love to hear from you. Have a great day, friends, and we'll chat again soon.